Welcome to Death Do Us Part Podcast, hosted by my wife, Jamie. Hello. And myself, Mark. What up, y'all? I sound like a man. Yeah, I feel bad for you. No, you, you are. Don't. No, I do. You are not feeling good, and I can tell. Yeah. It's bad. Yeah, you sound all <laughs> nasally. It's gross. Yeah. Ugh. Thank you, Jackson. Poor you. Yeah, he was, man, he was sick for a good week. Yeah. And then I figured I'd get it because I was home with him all week. I've been stuffy for a little while, but like Friday, I felt like I got hit by a fucking bus. Yeah. By the time I got home Friday night, I had a fever. Yeah. Do you still have a fever? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, baby. Um, our nephew just texted me. Yeah. He texted me a while ago and asked if we were home. And I'm, I, I was like, I just saw this dude. Is everything okay? He's like, yeah, I'm in a hotel and it's classy as hell. <laughs> Crown Hotel. You probably don't belong there, sir. No. <laughs> mm. Is he all right? Yeah, he's fine. He should start, um, training. Oh, okay. He's a military boy now. Yes, he is. I'm proud of him. Very proud of him. Yeah. So, um, I remembered my computer this time, and it's charged. Good deal. So, we have Patreon. Yeah, you might as well just shout them out. Uh, All right, so we got Vicky, who's a sergeant. Nice. Kendra, who's a lieutenant. Mm. I think we... I think I mentioned those two before because I, I think I remember Kendra's email address, but that's cool. You get it twice. Uh, Matt, who's a patrolman. I'm going to say Tanya, but it could be Tanya. So mm-hmm. either one. She's a patrolman. Awesome. Paige is a patrolman. Brittany is a sergeant. And Brian is a patrolman. Awesome. Now I'm going to shout out Brian here. Mm-hmm. If you go on Facebook... Or his email, which mm. is crosscutwooddesigns1 at gmail.com. Brian makes amazing wooden signs. Yes. Amazing. Sports teams um, are huge for him, but he really will make anything. Yeah. We have three or four things literally hanging up. Mm-hmm. What, my favorite one, though, is the baseball one. Yeah. It's, it's a baseball... Um, Not ungloved, but... Unstitched. Unstitched in the shape of a cross. And it says, I'll always come home. Love it. Yeah. Love it. So it's in our living room. Yep. Right above a a socks one. (laughs) Yeah. We have Jeff's socks one. So so check him out on Facebook. He's under Cross Cut Wood Designs on Facebook also. Yeah. So you guys will not be... uh, disappointed right it's pretty badass i don't know how the fuck he does stuff like that but yeah he's got a talent it's pretty fucking badass uh brian i need a porch sign so let's get on that (laughs) just saying yeah i want that like suburban soccer mom home sweet home like tall porch sign that everybody has that says go away i was gonna say but i want mine to say go away (laughs) right I found a doormat that said, why are you here? <laughs> Did he buy it? I should have. Yeah, you should have. Except I should have put it at the front door so the kids could see it when they walk out. Yeah, no kidding. What are you doing here? <laughs> but they should be, we should be able to record uninterrupted from the kids. Yeah. 
stole the dog. I was going to say, the dog's behind me, so I'm not making any promises. But Leah's out with her boyfriend, Mm -hmm. who she swore me not to say his name or talk about him or Mm. say anything. But I think he listens to us, so Mm. you know who you are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We like him, so it's okay. Um, And Jax is at football camp. Yay. Yeah. Yay. I love the football season. I love season. fucking football season. Yeah. Love it. So we do camp for four Sundays. And then when does the actual season start? Think, end of July? Yeah, I think Beginning so. Beginning of August? I think end of, end of July practices start. Um. Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you. Uh, me, you, and Coach are doing a, a Stone Cold the first practice. Oh, hell yeah. So just FYI. Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, his son was here watching WrestleMania. Yes. In a Stone Cold t-shirt. Yes. So we have to. Oh, for sure. Yeah. He sent me a picture of Edge. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? (laughs) And not that I don't like Edge. I do. I like Edge. But Mm. fuck you. It's Stone Cold. Yeah. His commercial kills me. That guy needs to chill out with his hand. (laughs) Like, Yeah. Yeah, it is good. I love Tide, by the way. Sponsor us. (laughs) I really do fucking love Tide. Do you want to know something about Tide? It was the only thing that made your clothes not fucking stink after a call out in the middle of fucking July. Mm. True. Mm-hmm. Get that dead body smell oh, out of the way. That Tide, man. I'm telling you, it's the only thing that did it. Mm. Good deal. Which I made sure the dryer was done, too, before. Oh, yeah. Recorded, so. I'm not, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to jinx it right now, but it's nice and... Yeah, don't use that word. I'm not. We can't use that word. We know better. Yeah. But I do, um, I should probably put the smoke detectors back up before I have surgery. Yeah, probably. Which, I mean, not that you or I are going to be able to move fast if they go off after I have surgery, but at least we'll get a head start, yeah. I guess. You know? well, yeah, that's not bad to get a head Seeing start. Seeing as we have none of them up. <laughs> right. I mean... <laughs> And we have all the candles lit right now. I I don't know if we have any working smoke detectors. Oh, it's so bad. God, we're awful people. Yeah, it's so bad. I'll get on that. We have the batteries. I bought the batteries. I know. I just have to get back up. Sorry. I've just sucked snot every once in a while. Um, It's sexy. Which it doesn't go anywhere. So I don't know why I feel the need to sniff, but like I constantly feel the need to sniff. Yeah. Yeah. So. So we got a good one today. Yeah. My brother's been waiting for this one. Yeah, a couple people have been. Yeah. So this was uh, a big deal when it happened. Oh, yeah. and I know it's kind of somewhat local for us, but it, yeah. it, it was nationwide. Yeah. It was a big deal. It was huge. Huge. Yeah. It was the beginning of like, um, let me adjust here. So there's actually um, a series now, I think, on ID called Fast Food Murders. Like, oh, really? This was like a kickoff of it. Oh, no kidding. So, um, yeah, a lot of people wanted this one. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there's not a lot. It's cut and dry and blah, blah, blah. But you know I found some shit. Yeah. yeah. I'm there, see? You always do. I'm like 20 pages in. Oh, yeah. Which, by the way, I got to page nine before I realized I was spelling Palatine wrong. <laughs> So I was spelling it. Good pa- job. Palatine, but that's not it. It's, I don't even know how to spell it's it. Palatine. So. Right. Yeah. 
not Palin, like I was saying. Uh. So, yeah. I listened to a few podcasts on it. Mm-hmm. Um, one, it was very informative. And actually, the girls are from around that area. Oh, really? Yeah. So, because they do like local, you know, town home cases or whatever. Yeah. And the chick said she used to live across the street from one of the places in here. So, oh, no hers kidding. was very informative. Um, another another one, I don't, I, I don't know what the fuck I was doing, but I wasn't paying attention to what I was listening to <laughs> at all. It was that good, huh? Uh, yeah. I, the, I have no idea what the fuck he was talking about. Oh. I didn't finish it, clearly. No. Um, Murderpedia was where it was at this time. Though. Oh, really? I fucking love Murderpedia, man. You should go on Murderpedia. Good shit? Yeah. Like, it's Wikipedia, but for fucking killers. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Well, that's cool. So, all right, I gotta shut this fucking computer. Oh, Shining in your yeah. eyes? Yeah. Everything hurts. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry, baby. Mm. Well. I am going to tease the next case, though. Yeah. So the next case is also local. Yeah. Was also national. Mm-hmm. And is still a pretty big fucking deal. Because who it dealt with. Right. Which we are not at liberty to say yet. Right. <laughs> so... But so surgery is the twenty second. We're gonna get this one out before then. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure what day. It kind of depends on a couple things. But we're you know yeah. we're shooting for next weekend. So then I'm gonna try and get one more out again before surgery, and then probably like pre research. So we're not gonna leave you guys hanging. Don't worry. Yeah. Hopefully and I'm not, not gonna let long. Mark research. No. Don't, don't, no. no. <laughs> I'll have I'll have Lynn do it or my mom do it or something first. No, I, I think you'll be it. fine researching after like a, a few days. A few days, yeah. I think you'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, the doctor is very hopeful for yeah. your recovery. Oh so, yeah, yeah. You know, saying within like after 48 he hours. He said, yeah. He said most of his patients and. Megan was, excuse me, my cousin was not one of them, unfortunately. But he said the vast majority of his patients after 48 hours, it's like someone flips a switch. Mm-hmm. But he said the first two days, I'm, I'm going to hate him. Yeah. Well, Listen, but... I'm getting a fucking push button and a goddamn set of earplugs and eye patches. And I'm sleeping for two days. Yeah, you might as well yeah. catch up on your sleep. And, I mean, you're not going to feel like doing anything anyways. You'll just, no. You'll be in bed. Yeah. And then they get you up to walk, and so yeah. I'm going to be a little sad shaving my hair. It'll just be in the back. I know, but the grow out. Yeah. Fuck. At least I have a model, though, of what I have to go off of instead of, like, shaving the whole the thing. The whole thing, yeah. yeah. I'm getting a zipper tattooed over it. Yeah, you should. They call people who have the surgery zipper heads. Hmm? No, you should, it then. it looks like a fucking giant zipper. <laughs> On the back of your head. You're going to freak out when you see it. No, I'm not. It's going to be like 20-something staples. Yeah. Mm. Whatever. I'll stop falling into walls. Yeah, that'll be nice. That's cool. Yeah. And it'll stop headaches every day. Oh, my God. And when I cough, babe, I can't even explain to you. When I cough and I'm standing up, I feel like I'm going to hit my knees. So, it's yeah. 
Yeah, Can't wait for that shit to stop. I'm glad when this will be over with. <laughs> Me too. And then I'll have to deal with my own shit now. Yeah, then we're going to get your knees fixed. Yeah. Tomorrow I go see, well, I get my MRIs on both of them. Mm-hmm. See how bad they are. But man, we're fucked. We are, man. Not even 40 yet. And I know. We're like fucking old people. We're pretty close to fucking 40. Yeah, 40 is right around the corner. Man. Fuck. It sucks. <laughs> sucks. That was a downer. Yeah, it was. Sorry. Ugh. Oh, well, whatever. All right, episode 45. I feel like we've done more than 40. Well, we have. We have. With the with Patreons. The pa- yeah, but. we've done like 11 Patreons, so. I feel like we've done more, but then every time we record, I mean, we're pretty consistent once a week. Yeah. But I feel like. Once we sit down to record, like, we haven't recorded in months. I know. I know. Which is obviously not the truth. No. I just so. can't wait till we get to the point where we can do, like, two a week. Soon. Gotta quit your job, baby. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm. All right. Y'all ready for Brown's Chicken? Brown's Chicken. So, uh, fun fact, Steve Carell was actually in a commercial for them. Really? Yeah. They had cholesterol-free breading. That's disgusting. I guess originally they they always used some sort of cholesterol-free oil, but then they got like cholesterol-free breading. That's disgusting. I don't remember ever eating brown chicken. I've never had it. Um, Never. They pretty much, in the Chicagoland area, went out of business after this. Yeah. They were only... um, Illinois and Indiana anyways. I guess there's still... Oh, really? Yeah. I guess there's still some in Indiana. Well, Frank Portillo owns them. Does he really? hmm Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. Look at that. I haven't even so started Brown, yet, and I told you something you don't know. Brown's chicken is not national? No. I thought it was. Nope. Indiana and Illinois. Wow. And okay. after this, yeah, um, 100 Chicagoland area restaurants closed. Yeah, I, I do remember so. that. This made a huge impact. Oh, it, sales went down like 35%. Yeah. Within months. Yeah, I do remember that. So, but it was. It was the beginning of like fast food markers. There's a couple pretty shitty fast food markers. Yeah. But this this is proof. This one was, it was bad. Oh, it was brutal. Yeah. Um, But it's proof positive, too, that the only way to get away with murder is to not fucking tell anybody. Yep. You're exactly right. That's, who was it? Someone said, that probably wasn't Einstein, but I know I've said it before. Six people can get away with murder if five of them are dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so true. It's not what fucking happened here. I mean. Dum-dums. Investigating murders for how long I did it. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it, That's just the only keep way. your mouth shut. Yeah. That's all you got to do. Because here's the thing. If they wouldn't have told anybody, they would they have gotten st- away with it. It still would have been unsolved. They would have, they would 100% have gotten away with it. Yeah. Because, a little spoiler alert. Yeah. But. Well, I mean, people know. But even, I mean, they, they would have, the, this would not have, the arrest would not have happened. Right. Probably still to this day. Yeah. Would not have I, happened. Exactly. So. No. You know, and don't, it wasn't from. talk. Wasn't from lack of, of police work. No. No. Um, It really wasn't. I mean, these guys did the best that they could. It's fucking Palatine for yeah. fuck's sake. Like, and it's, what, you know? 93? Yeah. So. There were 7,000 people in Palatine. In At 90- that time? Yeah. 
oh, dude, that the town is huge yeah. now. And it, yeah, now in twenty twenty, I think there was fifty plus thousand. Yeah, it's um, it's a big town. But like the merging of the people is weird. What do you mean? Like um, a brother and a sister of the perpetrator and the victim went to school together. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, the perpetrator and the victim's family lived in the same apartment complex. Oh, God. Like, it's it's pretty, like, it's it's weird. Yeah. The connections are weird, but it was so small back then. Like Yeah. I didn't realize know, it was that yeah, small. Palatine, Hoffman Estates. Yeah. You know, it was all that's connected like, then. And from where we're at, that's, like, northwest yeah, of us. Yeah. Not too far. Not like too far. I mean. 45 minutes Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Wow. All right. All right. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. All right. So, Palatine. Oh, I spelled it right the first time. Good job. I went downhill after that. <laughs> Fuck, man. All right. Uh, Palatine, Illinois is a small suburb of Chicago mm-hmm. with around 7,000 people in 1992 to 1993. It's not an area plagued by crime, but not immune to it either. In 1990, a woman was accused of murdering her newborn and then throwing the body in a creek. Uh, two years before that, Dr. Lee Robin killed his wife with an axe and drowned their infant child. Jesus. Yeah. I don't remember hearing about that. I don't remember that. Sounds like some shit I want to look into. Yeah. Um, I lost my place already. Oh, here we go. <laughs> uh, even that couldn't prepare Deputy Police Chief Jack McGregor, which just sounds like a police name. Yeah, it does. I'm Jack Total McGregor. cop. Jack McGregor. Yeah, total cop. Uh, for the phone call he was about to receive. On January 9th, 1993, around 3.30 a.m., he is jolted awake by the phone's insistent ringing, incessant ringing, sorry. He's groggy but answers the phone. The sound of the watch commander's voice jolts him awake out of a sound sleep that he will not know again for months. Sergeant Bob Haas um, shakingly says, quote, I'm at the Browns chicken boss and we've got a bunch of dead people in the cooler. Followed by, I'm wrong, there's more dead people in the other cooler. McGregor asks, do you have any people alive? Do you need medical services? One word takes care of both, a simple no. Firefighters and paramedics at Palatine's Colfax Street Station haven't slept much that night anyways. Earlier in the evening, they found out that a co-worker had been fired, followed by a house fire that had them out uh, for a while in the cold. Now they're being called out for victims in a freezer at the Brown's Chicken at 168 West Northwest Highway. Fire Captain Norm Malcolm, which also sounds like a fireman's yeah. name. Let me throw that out there. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, assumes it's victims of a robbery locked in the freezer, shivering, maybe even some hypothermia. Mm-hmm. No big deal, right? Uh, due to the call out being so odd, though, everyone is dispatched out. So that's two engines, an ambulance, a squad crew, two paramedics, and a shift commander. That's a giant motherfucking station. It's eight guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How many cops were on shift? The cops? Yeah. I don't know. At the time, three that I could name. Okay. Um, So eight guys from the fire department are dispatched out. Not a single one of them would actually be needed. Mm-hmm. So on January 8th, 1993, it was a typical Friday night at Brown's Chicken. Uh, close to 9 p.m., which is closing time for them, all seven employees were doing closing duties. Owners Richard and Lynn, it's, I think it's Ellenfelt, so we'll go with that. Sure. 
uh, are both working tonight, and their daughter, daughter Dana, had worked earlier at Punch-Dot about 4.20 p.m., who worked alongside um, Anne's mom for the day. So she worked with her grandma all day. So the whole family, like, chipped in to help. Yeah. Um, they had taken all of their retirement and savings, which was $300,000 in total, and bought the Brown's Chicken franchise in May of 1992. Mm. Richard, before, had been a corporate exec uh, for a very long time, but had been laid off for two years. They brought, they bought the Brown's Chicken with the idea of building good staff uh, so they could work hard now and kind of relax mm-hmm. later. Yeah. So um, at this time, it was pretty popular with like, former corporate execs to be buying franchises. Right. A quarter of all franchise purchases in the United States at this time were made by former corporate execs. Hmm. There's a fun fact you didn't need to know. No. Uh, Richard was 49 at the time. Lynn was 48. Um, they did have three daughters, Dana, or excuse me, Jennifer, Dana, and Joy. And I believe it's Jennifer who now is a senator in Was- uh, Wisconsin. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. There's, mm. a, there's another fun fact. That's right? pretty cool. Um, they knew that they'd be putting a lot of time into the restaurant, but with their daughters older, it really didn't seem like that big of an issue. Um, they actually made their daughters work there. Yeah. So, you know. Um, Lynn was previously a social worker, but she had been home for two decades raising her daughters. So the, it took her a little while to get used to the 16 hour days, mm-hmm. which I don't know how raising three kids is a pain in the dick. But um, yeah, so at that time, Richard was in the back helping Thomas Menace uh, take inventory of the back cooler. Thomas was a 32 year old man who was a high school dropout. Um, but was described as a simple man who liked the outdoors. He would like to hunt, but would never get anything. Which, okay, I mean, maybe just like being outside. Yeah, true. Um, one of the other co-workers, though, said that he was one of the sweetest guys that she had ever met. Yeah. Um, he would ride his bike to work. He didn't drive. Um, he crashed his brother's car as a teen and had not driven since then. So this other girl, she would ride her bike to work all the time, too. And he would bring her bike to the back door yeah. so she wouldn't have to walk to it. And he would, like, wipe it off if it was wet and oh, offer to walk her home. But not in, like, a creepy, like, right. weird way. But like I want to get big, with you. Right, but like yeah. a big brother just looking out for you kind well, of that's way. That's cool. Um, Lynn was at the register counting the night's receipts and putting uh, cash in the safes. She always wore the keys to the safes on a coiled key ring around her wrist. Uh, Marcus Nelson and Guadalupe Maldonado were cleaning the food prep area. Marcus was a 31-year-old Navy vet. He was a cook in the Navy, so he was then a cook at Popeye's. He unfortunately did have an alcohol problem in the Navy. Uh, He went to rehab in Des Plaines, where he ended up meeting his live-in girlfriend, Joy. He did have an ex-wife whose name is Beverly and a daughter named Jessica. And the one thing people said about him was that he overpaid his child support. Hmm. You never fucking hear that. No. He wanted to make sure that, yeah, that Jessica had everything she needed. Um, He had actually only been, yeah, like they were all like just trying, like good people just fucking giving it a shot, you know? Yeah. he had only been there two months, but they, the uh, Eldenfeld saw his potential and actually had him scheduled to start manager training the following day. Mm. Guadalupe was a cook, uh, usually working the four to nine shift. 
He was a 47-year-old married man with three small boys. He had also just started at Brown's Chicken uh, being there a couple weeks, and this particular day was his first payday. His mm. paycheck was about $230. Mm. Uh, originally from Mexico, him and his family would go back and uh, go back to Mexico and then come up here every once in a while so Guadalupe could earn some money. Yeah. Um, the first couple times he came up here, he had worked at Yield Tavern in Mount Prospect. Mm-hmm. And then he was he came up with his brother. And then after the second stint, his brother's like, dude, we need to find some wives. Like, we're pigs. Someone <laughs> needs to take care of us. <laughs> yeah. So they went back to Mexico and ended up marrying sisters. Oh, no kidding. So Pedro married... Fuck, I can't remember her name. Um, and Guadalupe married uh, Beatrice, but they were sisters. That's so cool. brothers married sisters, which uh-huh. was cool. Um, so he called the owner at Yule Tavern and was like, I want to come back. Yeah. And the guy was like, he's, he was a great fucking worker. Served as a dish uh, dishwasher, worked his way up to cook. But they didn't have any spots open until April or May mm-hmm. when they would be having like summer events. So him and his wife just applied at every fast food place yeah just to um, get something yeah he ended up getting hired on the spot oh by cool. lynn so um michael castro and rico Salas were also there working they were cleaning the dining room and doing other closing chores such as emptying all the garbage cans uh michael was a 16 year old high school student at palatine high school he drove a white nissan truck with marine stickers on it because he obviously wanted to be a marine mm-hmm. i'll have to flip back too uh, Rico Salas was a uh, 17-year-old Palestine. Pa- Palestine. Woo. Palatine. Palestine was last week. <laughs> yeah. uh, Palatine High School student. He was actually from um, the Philippines. Yeah. His father was murdered in the Philippines when he was 12. Oh, jeez. His mom quickly remarried and came to America. Um, Rico stayed in the Philippines with his grandmother while his mom could kind of get stuff Settled here. Yeah. Uh, in May of 1992, him and his two sisters came here. Um, I was wrong. She did interrupt us. Amazing. Um, Hold on. Let me text her. So they came here in May of uh, 1992. His dream was to actually join the army at 18. So he was very much the America is where I need to be, blah, blah, blah. You know, mm-hmm. he hated being, he was... Um, Normally in the back, though, and he hated being at the grease fry- grease fryers. He said that no matter how many times he washed his hands or, like, washed his hair, he still felt, like, greasy. And yeah. felt like he smelled like chicken. So he was actually supposed to have a meeting with Lynn the next day about um, being moved up to cashier. Mm-hmm. Uh, him and Michael were actually really good friends. And Rico was not supposed to be working that night. He came to get his paycheck. Yeah. Um, there was a girl there who um, had worked every Friday night. Her name was Casey Sanders. So when Rico came in to get his check, you know, he wanted more hours. He wanted to work more. So Lynn's like, Rico, why don't you work? Casey can stay. You can work with Mike all as well. Yeah. Everybody was great. So Casey went home and Rico ended up working. Yeah. Um, Casey ended up going to a basketball game with her boyfriend they were driving around, um, and a little bit later on that night, she suggested stopping at Brown's to talk to Lynn about her hours, um, but then said, quote, then I'm like, oh, forget it. I'll ask her tomorrow. It's not that important. If I had walked in, I would have walked in on it, mm. which she's right. Yeah. She had nightmares for months. 
Oh, that, I could imagine. That everybody was shot, and as she was about to get shot, she would wake up. Because oh. she was supposed to be there. There was also another cook that came in to get his check who was supposed to be there, but Guadalupe had taken his shift for the night, too. Yeah. So, a lot of survivor's guilt right there. Um, While the closing procedures were being done, a Ford Tempo pulls into the parking lot. Despite the register being closed out at 9 p.m. on the dot, the food had not been put away, and a last-minute order for a four-piece chicken meal was rung up at 9.08 p.m. Michael's mother, I cannot, I'm not going to say this right, Epiphania, so we'll just say Michael's mother. Yeah, Michael's mother. Uh, is waiting up for him. He's usually home by 10. He's not home. She gets worried. She wakes up his dad, Manny, who's like, what the fuck? <laughs> so he's like, maybe he had car trouble. So he drives the, the route, which is five blocks <laughs> to the restaurant, five whole blocks from home. Yeah. This kid was. Um, he ends up seeing Michael's car in the lot along with four other vehicles. So the restaurant's dark. He bangs on the door, doesn't get an answer. Although it's out of character for Michael to go out without calling his parents, he kind of just assumed he went to get something to eat, uh, turns around and goes back home. When Michael isn't at home still, um, Manny goes back out to check other food, uh, fast food places. Doesn't see him, goes home again. Yeah. Right around that time, a patrol officer drives past the Brown's Chicken and sees a man peering into the windows. Officer Connolly pulls over to check it out at two or excuse me, twelve twenty-one a.m. The man is Guadalupe's brother Pedro. He works at Jake's Pizza in Palatine, and he had also gotten off late himself. When he went home, he found Guadalupe's wife Beatriz awake and scared. Uh, Guadalupe was very much a man of routine and was usually home by 9.30 to put the boys to bed. Yeah. So Pedro says he'll go look. He pulls into the parking lot to find a dark store and Guadalupe's old Cutlass Sierra in the parking lot. At this point, Pedro gets concerned that maybe authorities learned uh, that Guadalupe is here illegally and he was picked up and is getting ready for deportation. Uh, He looks through the windows and can barely make out the brown booths. Officer Connolly tells Pedro not to worry. Uh, the employees probably went out for sandwiches and drinks. Hmm. Okay. It's very specific. That's very spe- specific. <laughs> very specific. Huh. Okay. Seeing as they're in a fast food restaurant. Right. <laughs> they wouldn't just eat there. They probably could have had chicken. <laughs> right. I'm just... Uh, what are we serving tonight? Chicken? Chicken or, or chicken? chicken? <laughs> um, Pedro's like... Well, uh, my brother does not drink at all, mm-hmm. and uh, his fucking car's in the parking lot. Yeah. Along with four other ones. Yeah. Isn't that weird to you, yeah. sir? Sir cop, sir? <laughs> Officer? Uh, Officer Conley pretty much dismisses Pedro, telling him to go back home that Guadalupe is probably already there. Meanwhile, okay. the phone can be heard ringing. Ringing and ringing and mm-hmm. ringing, which reminded me of the Colorado. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so at this point, multiple family members were calling. Mm-hmm. Like, Fuck are you people? What are you doing? Yeah. Um, including Pedro's daughter, Maria, who was looking for her uncle because she was at home with his wife. And, you know, um, Michael still isn't home. So his parents um, actually get a phone call from Rico Salas's mother, Evelyn, uh, because she's like, the, the kid 
doesn't do anything to make me worry, like, yeah. ever. And he's not fucking home. Right. So, so some, something's up. Right. So the Castro's called the police. Now, according to um, Michael's parents, Manny called the police at 11.45 p.m. Mm-hmm. According to Palatine Police, the call was logged at 1.02 a.m. A little bit of a difference. Now, it's still a discrepancy to this day, but based off the information I have, it was probably closer to the 1.02. Oh, really? Um, Just based off of the time frames of... of officers records and reports yeah because i I mean they're writing stuff down um and really at this point the time wouldn't have mattered anyways it didn't matter anyways um so even though there's now three employees that are unaccounted for the restaurant's dark and all the employees cars are in the parking lot the police don't believe that anything is amiss oh guys come on Hello? What are you doing? Hello. Like, if Netflix was a thing, I'd back then, I'd say yeah. they were busy watching some Netflix or something. And right. Like, okay, just let me watch my movie until the end of the shift. Yeah, no. But, Mm-mm. yeah, guys, hello. So, um, I, I have to skip around a bit, so if you hear my papers, I'm sorry. Um... So the Palatine police have been busy that day. A drunk driver uh, hit a squad car. And then there was a pretty big, like, Crosstown Classic basketball game between Palatine and Fremd. Is that F F R E M D? Fremd? I think Freemid. Freemid? Yeah. How, was, how the fuck is that Freemid? That's Fremd. Well, we'll go with Freemid, but it's Fremd, just so you know. But Fremd is not a fucking word, and I would hope nobody would name a high school <laughs> after that. So It's a pretty big basketball Okay. School. So, so I'm Freemid. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Freemid. Um so there was a basketball game that night, so there was traffic issues because teenagers are fucking assholes and when they're yeah. leaving, you know. Um so it's um <clears throat> hang on, I have to skip. I'm sorry. So what the fuck did I do? Oh, okay. So um when Manny's parents, or when Michael's parents call the police, mm-hmm. um, he goes to, Manny goes to the restaurant okay. and ends up meeting an officer there, Officer Bonneville, um, who tells them uh, basically that, uh, you know, Michael's probably being a typical teenager and he's probably out. He basically dismisses them again and leaves. Dude, their cars are there. Yeah. You're calling and ringing. Dude. So now he didn't know that Officer Conley had also been there with another family member. So they're not talking to each other mm, at all. Okay. Um, he would later tell his supervisors that when he arrived at the restaurant, he arrived before the Castros, went around the building, rattled the doors, and found no signs of trouble. Um, Deputy... Uh, Deputy Chief McGregor would say letter, later that Bonneville either missed a door being opened or he never got out of his squad. Which? He never got out of his squad. Yeah. Let's just call a spade a spade here. It's fucking 14 degrees outside. Yes. On premise checks, when, yeah. it, when it's raining, when it's snowing, I'm guilty of sin doing it too. Right. I, right. You're, Again. You shine your, your car light on it. Make sure you know he, it couldn't have been prevented. The crime could right. not could not have right. been prevented it, it at this point. Matter. So it is what it is. Yeah. You know. 
Gulp, gulp, Sorry, gulp, I'm gulp, So, the Castros are like Manny's pissed at this point, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't fucking blame him. So he calls the police um, again when he gets home, and Michael's not home, and they're like, "Yeah, well, he's not missing for twenty four hours yet. So when he's missing for twenty four hours, give us a call back." Which is now different in the state of Illinois because he's Lord. a minor. Yeah. Um, now it's that's not the case. You don't and wait twenty four hours. Some people still believe. They still believe that's that. Yeah. A thing. Um, call immediately. Yeah. <laughs> Always call, fucking immediately. Yeah. Don't believe twenty four forty eight hours. They have to be missing first. Yeah, it's, that's bullshit. It's it's a long gone, yeah. practice. So, he was sixteen. You know, like, yeah. and the cops are just like, it's a big basketball game. Like, he's got money. He got paid today. He's probably out. No big deal. And his parents are like, no. Right. No. Like, we're, no. And they're like, well, we'll look for him while we're out patrolling. Yeah. Which means they're not. Yeah. So they end up. somewhere hiding. Yeah. <laughs> they end up sending uh, an officer to their house, which, cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, it happened to be Officer Connolly. Mm-hmm. He responded to the Castro's home uh, at approximately 2 a.m., mm-hmm. according to some sources. Uh, he's taking the report when Manny says Brown's chicken. He's like, shit, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I was just fucking there. And this guy couldn't find his brother. Mm. Now you can't find your kid. And all these oh. cars are in the parking lot. Now the light is going on. Huh. So he tells the Castro's, Manny and his wife, why don't you guys follow me back over there? Mm-hmm. What? Why? Did yeah. They? I don't know why you would I, do that. The way he handled it afterwards. Okay. But, but, I mean, in his defense, I would have fucking followed him there as a mother. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I mean. But I, I wouldn't tell them to no, follow me. I, but you, I wouldn't If you're going to do it on your own, right. it is what it is. But So, he obviously realizes that he had been there hours fucking earlier which almost two hours earlier. Um, so they follow him back to the restaurant and they arrive there just before 3 a.m. Um, the two men get out and are methodically going around the building, checking in windows and pulling on doors. No. Connolly comes to the east side of, like, back east side. Mm-hmm. So the way the building was facing, it was more, probably, like, northeast side sure. of the building. Um, it's painted green. It's a steel door. Yeah. It's the employee entrance. Yeah. He yanks hard, and it opens. Mm. Whoops. Yep. Hey, Officer Bonneville. Yeah, that ain't good. Yeah. Guess what? The door opened. Yeah. So Manny comes up behind Connolly and sees Michael's jacket and tells him that's Michael's jacket laying there. Connolly um, stops Manny because he's trying to push past him. Yeah. So Connolly blocks him with his body and is like, no, 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 we're not. We're not yeah. going in. Like, yeah. this could be, this potentially could be a crime scene. Go yeah. go to your car. Go back in the parking lot. Right. Because what he could see that Manny could not was that there was an arm blocking the freezer door from closing <sighs> and blood all over the floor around it. Yeah, not good. So he tells, you know, he tells Manny it's a potential crime scene. Like, I'm going to wait for somebody and, and we're going to go inside. In the meantime, I want you and your wife to go to the police station mm-hmm. and wait for us. Which, smart, because I would have been in that fucking door. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you're not holding me back. No. They're, 
Connolly, you may be the biggest man in the world, and guess what? Mama Bear's coming. Yeah. So, so he waits for um, another officer, and him and the other officer enter the building through the employee entrance, guns drawn. They immediately see a bloody mop up against the wall. Uh, they discover that it is the owner, Lynn uh, Ellenfeld's arm, that is blocking the freezer from closing. In the freezer with Lynn are Guadalupe, Michael, Rico, and Marcus. The radio traffic heard was, quote, five in the freezer. Um, before entering, another officer puts grocery bags over his shoes to avoid leaving footprints in the blood. Good job. Hold that thought. <laughs> um, they described it as basically a bloodbath. Yeah. Um, and the grocery bags quickly filled up with blood. Nah. So he threw his shoes out. Yeah. Yeah. Sir. No, hmm. no, no. Which I will say later on is not a big deal. <laughs> no. But don't do that. No. At least, you know what? At least he was like, well, I ain't got booties. You know what, though? I mean, it's Palatine. They, they this is not the, you, common. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you walk in on scenes that are just, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. And that's essentially the way that it was described. Yeah. Like, and you try to think of all the safety precautions. Right. But, dude, sometimes, sometimes it's. Sometimes you just walk in and you're like, Phew. like the yogurt chop burgers. Yeah. The one detective was like, listen, I was in fucking Vietnam, and I didn't think anything would top it, and this shit fucking topped it. Yeah. Like, so you just, you're taken aback. You don't. And this was, this was, this was bad. And I mean, like, think about shit that I handled. Mm -hmm. All, how about the the fucking garage with all the dead bodies? That you wanted to keep your chapstick. (laughs) I'm like, get undressed in the garage, because I'm going to burn your clothes. And your first question was... Can I have my chapstick? <laughs> no. Dude, but like that scene was like. You just holy stand there. Like, holy fuck. Is this really the, dude, fucking happening? I don't know if I ever told you, but the neighbors all came out with patio chairs to watch. <laughs> I would. I'd start offering you guys drinks. You guys want some popcorn? Dude, it was. Some chapstick? It was bad. So. Your chick. Ch- I say, I'm going to burn your clothes. And you say, can I have my chapstick? <laughs> my lips hurt real bad. What? What is he doing? Whoa. Did he just fall? Sounded like it. He just God, wake up from a sleep. Fucking me. What? What? Seriously. Lay down. Lay down. Um, my lips hurt real bad, though, oh my babe. God. <laughs> can I have my chapstick? Did you burn my clothes? Fuck yes, I burned them. Do you know what you fucking smelled like? Yeah. First of all, second of all, skin flakes really bother me when they're alive, but when they're dead, it's even worse, and I didn't want to take the chance. So no, I'm not giving you dead people chapstick to put on your face to come near me with. Dude, it was so bad. It was bad. Um... So the freezer is the uh, closest, it's closest to the employee entrance. So that's Mm. the first thing they see. Uh, Richard and Thomas were found shortly after in the cooler at the other side of the store. Deputy Chief Jack McGregor uh, tells Sergeant Bob Haas to seal off the crime scene. He starts calling every detective in town and then calls the chief, uh, who is Chief Jerry Bratcher. Chief Bratcher, stunned, hangs up with McGregor and calls the Northern Illinois Police Crime Laboratory in Highland Park. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, he knew that the scene was going to be way too much for his officers, and oh, he yeah. wanted forensic experts sent out. Yeah. Uh, EMS and fire arrive on scene. They were advised by dispatch en route to expect fatalities, um, but were not fucking prepared, obviously, for what oh. they walked into. Some of the guys had seen the plane crash mm-hmm. at O'Hare, do you remember? I don't know. Yeah. In 79. Yeah. Um, but like they were like, that was an accident. Yeah. This was not. Uh, Fire Captain Norm Malcolm said, quote, we walked in and the freezer was right there and everybody was just, their jaws hit the floor. The senselessness is overwhelming. Paramedics Scott Pelletru and Jim Foraker lean over the bodies one by one, feeling their necks to see if they can feel a carotid pulse. None of them have a pulse. Chief McGregor um, arrives, Deputy Chief, excuse me, McGregor arrives on scene before uh, 4 a.m., it's speculated by police. Now, this is what they're putting together as they're going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, that there were two or more perpetrators that entered the restaurant. They put four employees in the freezer. They took Lynn to the safes to get money, but she started freaking out before both safes could be opened because there was a top one and a bottom one. Yeah. So they slit her throat Jesus. to keep her quiet. They then dragged her back to the freezer. Mm-hmm. Um, only the top safe was open despite cash being in both of them. And they soon discovered that approximately eighteen to nineteen hundred dollars was taken, which would now be around thirty-three to thirty-four hundred. So, uh, shit for what you did. Absolute garbage. So Richard and Thomas were in the cooler closer to the front of the store and possibly didn't know what was happening at first because the they didn't. You can't prop the doors open because yeah. you'll shit'll go bad. Um, so it appeared though. Um, that at some point Michael and Marcus tried to fight back. Mm-hmm. Uh, both were stabbed, possibly, and Marcus was hit in the head with something. Mm. Um, they were sitting in the freezer, huddled where they were shot, uh, and it appeared as if they were on their knees with their hands above their heads. Jeez. Richard and uh, Thomas at some point realized that this probably was a robbery mm-hmm. because Richard took out his wallet and credit cards and put them in a box in the cooler. And Thomas put $90 cash in his sock. Um, So approximately 13 shots were fired into the freezer, all with downward trajectory. Mm -hmm. Jesus fucking Christ. Uh, Eight shots, approximately eight shots, excuse me, were fired into the cooler in the same manner. It's unknown which group was shot first. Um, it appeared that they were all shot with the same weapon, mm-hmm. which turned out to be a thirty-eight caliber snub-nosed Smith & Wesson revolver. So there's no casings. Mm. Um, Man, and so he would have had to take time to reload? Three times. Oh, my God. So you know you're, you're sitting in there knowing mm-hmm. and just waiting? Mm-hmm. It was my a six-round chamber. Yeah. So... My God. They they estimate a total of 21 to 22 bullets were fired. Yeah. So, um, Deputy Chief McGregor says, quote, the picture is there in living color of what I saw. Always will be. Uh, the perpetrators attempted to mop their bloody footprints, and then they cut the power. Mm-hmm. The clock read 21.52, so 9.52, which was just 44 minutes after the last sale was rung up. Yeah. Uh, police believe robbery was the motive, but they obviously knew what could have happened because they showed up with weapons and more than enough ammunition to kill seven people. Yeah. Um, at the time, 
premeditated murder and murder during a robbery both carried the same sentence, which was death mm. in Illinois. So it yeah. really didn't fucking matter. Right. Um, of course, that's not true now. No, 2011. On fucking got, real. Yeah. Which is, I could do a whole fucking episode on that. I know. Yeah. It's bullshit. So uh, all the victims in the freezer were shot in the head. Um, earmark that. I know that's terrible. Say that again. All the victims in the freezer were shot in the head. Oh, really? Rico was shot three times in the head. Guadalupe, Michael, and Marcus were shot twice in the head. And Lynn was shot once in the head. Which, you slit her fucking throat. She's dead. What? Did Did you have to? Yeah. Man, that's fucking terrible. Uh, Rico, Guadalupe, and Michael all had gunshot wounds in their hands and their arms. Defensive. Yep. Putting their hands up. Um, now, Michael is also shot twice through the right shoulder and once in the chest, and he has an abdominal stab wound, hmm. which we'll find out later why. Uh, Richard in the cooler was shot five times in the shoulder, back, and the head, and Thomas was shot three times. Um, it was later shown that the killers would have had to have reloaded at least three times. Oh, unreal. Uh, the phone is still ringing. At this point. Mm-hmm. This time it's Dana, uh, the daughter of the Ellenfelts. Ellenfelts, the owners. Uh, yeah. Dana is calling after she got home. She was out. She got home about 3 a.m. And her parents weren't home. So she called the restaurant first because that's where they always were. Mm-hmm. When they first opened the restaurant, their youngest son, Joy, had just graduated. And they were so busy with catering orders because that was what Richard eventually wanted. He yeah. wanted to build on the catering thing. Yeah. Um, that they missed the ceremony. And they ended up showing up to their house for Joy's graduation party long enough to drop off the chicken. Yeah. And then they left. (laughs) So um, she doesn't get an answer, so she wakes up her grandma and they drive to the restaurant together. Mm -hmm. They find the crime scene. She's distraught. She calls her boyfriend, Mike Sampson, who had actually been at the restaurant earlier that day with her and her grandmother, just talking and having lunch. Uh, He comes to the scene, and he becomes so distraught, he calls his dad. Yeah. His dad calls Dana's sisters to tell them what's going on. Yeah. Um, Deputy Chief McGregor heads to the station after about an hour. Um, The first round of calls he made brought in eight Palatine detectives. He immediately calls the Cook County Sheriff's Department, and some of their investigators arrived uh, before daybreak. Mm Mm-hmm. Chief Bratcher calls the FBI. Some agents arrive immediately. A few come a couple days later. I'll get into that. Yeah. Grief counselors are sent from Northwest Community Hospital to the police department to meet the families. At some point with the phone ringing, Sergeant Haas answers it, and it's a radio reporter from WBBM AM asking... That's Channel 11, right? I don't know. Like on the TV? Um, asking about uh, what he's been hearing on the police scanner. Is it true? The sergeant yeah. just hangs up. He doesn't say anything. No. Uh, we did that all the time. <laughs> they, would, they would call for everything and just have no clue. Bye. But the, why the fuck are you calling the restaurant? Okay, so you're hearing on the police scanner that everybody was shot in the restaurant. So you call the restaurant? Right. Who's going to answer? <laughs> right. Jesus Christ. Jacob fucking Marley? Like, come on. The right. ghost? So... Pedro Maldonado and his family have been up all night. For some reason, he feels the need to go back to Brown's Chicken mm-hmm. at 5.30 in the morning. Uh, the parking lot is full of emergency vehicles, reporters, photographers, and TV news crews. 
A reporter tells Pedro as soon as he gets out of his car that there's a dead man inside. Pedro automatically assumes it's Guadalupe, but there's another man saying that his 16-year-old didn't come home after work. Eventually, a priest asked Pedro to come back to the police station with him. At the station, Pedro is told that Guadalupe has been murdered and the Castros are told that Michael has been murdered. There's really nothing more to say because they don't fucking know right. anything. Um, when Pedro get home, gets home, Beatrice knows just by the look on his face that Guadalupe is gone. Yeah. Uh, just before sunrise, officers arrive at the Solis apartment in Arlington Heights. They tell Rico's mom that he's been murdered. Um, and at this point, it's, it's all over the news. Mm-hmm. Within hours, flowers begin to arrive at their home. It brings back memories of Rico's father being stabbed to death in the Philippines, and it's too much for his mother and two sisters, Jade and Giselle, to handle. They pack a few things in a bag and basically move into a hotel. They never go back to the apartment. Really? To stay. They tried a couple times, but just couldn't couldn't do it. Late in the morning, Beatrice Maldonado and her niece go to Brown's. They stand outside all day in the 28-degree temperature with wind and snow, hoping to learn more or see Guadalupe's body. The bodies ended up not being removed until almost 7 p.m. that night. Mm. They were still there saying a prayer as everybody came out because they didn't know who was who. He was in a body bag. Right, right. Um, A conference room at the police station becomes temporary headquarters. There's a blackboard with the names of officers, detectives, investigators from other agencies, and other workers uh, written in chalk on the board. And next to each of the names are assignments such as victims, media, and crime scene. Tables are covered with yellow legal pads and phones. Tips, leads, and theories immediately start pouring in to the point that they have to add more phones. Oh, really? This I put in just for you. Mm-hmm. Psychics and people Stop. with visions oh, started Jesus calling. Christ. Of course they did. Nothing came of it. I just had to put it in there for you. Yeah. <laughs> that was the of only course reason. they did. Fucking goofs. So at 11.38 a.m., a woman and her sister call into the tip line. They have a friend, 23-year-old Martin Blake, who lives in Elgin and had recently been fired from the Brown's Chicken. Mm. He had gone in there on Friday to pick up his check. <clears throat> it won't pause oh oh well so you guys heard me cough whatever um let me try it again so he allegedly threatened revenge and had been shooting his 22 caliber gun at phone books down the hallway of his house little goofy yeah um well he's a little shithead yeah was isn't anymore um he had actually bought the house outright in cash with the settlement he got because he was hit by a car in 1986 so mm. like if you want to fire weapons in your house whatever yeah. dude, that's cool to each his own um other acquaintances were being questioned and they tell police that blake's been talking cocky like he knows something about the murders you guys need to get better fucking friends <laughs> right <laughs> for real yeah i'd be like i don't even know him what are you talking about and these people are like no he talks like a shithead, so right. he he knows what happened. He was cocky. Yeah, but like, get better friends. Uh, someone even said he smiled while watching a report on the news. Oh my god, he was drunk. So uh, we smile at everything when we're drunk. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Um, 
<clears throat> Blake uh, at some point had even dated Michael Castro's sister, mm. Mary Jane, when the two of them both worked at Mary Brown's Jane. a few years earlier. Uh, investigators also took note that Michael had been the one to have been stabbed in the stomach. Oh. So, Blake was actually told by a female friend that morning that he was being labeled as an angry ex-employee, so he was kind of waiting for the police to come talk to him, but didn't realize it was going to happen the way that it did. Uh, Shortly after the tip, Palatine and Elgin officers disguised themselves as water department workers and surrounded the area around Blake's house. Really? He comes out of the house at 2.56 p.m. to check his 1977 Ford Bronco that won't start, still hungover as fuck from the night before. Yeah. Um, They immediately swarm him and take him into custody at gunpoint. Mm -hmm. And the first thing he says is, is this about last night? Excuse me. Um, He repeatedly told investigators that he didn't do it. Yeah. He said he was drinking with four or five friends at his house, watching the movie Revolver from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Friend of his completely backs him up on this. Yeah. Um, He says that Blake tried to get the group to go rent Faces of Death. Did you ever watch that? Yes. Yeah. Oh, my my God. God, That's my teenagers. I remember when it was, like, so big and, like... Yeah. You talking with your friends? Oh my god! Did you rent it? Did you yeah. did you see it? Faces. The, One of the things on dude. there was uh, the uh, I don't know if he would, it was a it was a government official who shot himself on national TV. Yeah, um, that was on there. Yeah, uh, I, my favorite was uh, the. Uh, guy that got eaten by an alligator oh yeah i did see that one he was a skydiver or something i think what's wrong with us and he went right into a fucking alligator pond what's wrong with us i don't know we're fucked (laughs) we all did it though god we should totally rent it though no i feel like no it's probably on youtube (laughs) yeah that's what i'm saying like where the fuck where do you rent videos nowadays (laughs) blockbuster I think they're, well, no, it was a family video. Now it's a liquor store. The one across the street? Yeah. Yeah, and a Mexican restaurant. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Which we got to try. I would never, what, can we camp in the parking lot? I know. This is what I want to know. Um, nobody wanted to go, so he went by himself. Uh, he left at 9.15 and came home at about 11 p.m. Yeah. Police check his alibi and search his home, but it only leads to more questions. Um... He's in the cell, obviously, and there's a camera on him. Yeah. And for a while, he's screaming habeas corpus, which is the term for unlawful detention. Mm-hmm. Um, he thinks he's smart, but he really just remembered the term from a fucking history class. Oh, my God. Then he, after he's sitting there for a while, he kind of... I'm going to sue you. Yeah, he kind of makes a deal with God. Like, if you get me out of this, yeah. I'll be a better fucking person. Mm. I'll elaborate. Hang on. Um, so while this is happening, technicians are photographing and videotaping every inch of the restaurant. Over the next two months, they would end up dusting tables, um, and counters, sinks, and walls, hoping to find some sort of usable fingerprint. They ended up collecting, um... Who's calling you now? Jackie. Mm -hmm. Um, they ended up collecting over 200 fingerprints. So they would have to fingerprint the victims to kind of, you know, rule them out and... So uh, there would eventually be enough evidence to fill a former classroom at the police station protected by lock, key, and alarm. Inside this room were Formica countertops, wood grain tabletops, and the green steel employee door. Um, 
With the exception of where the killers tried to mop up the footprints, the restaurant is pretty clean. The closing procedures were almost done. Uh, the register doors were emptied out and put on top of the ice machine, which was procedure for them. Yeah. That's what they did. Um, a partially eaten chicken dinner that matches the register tape is found in an otherwise empty... Oh, I stopped at that sentence. I stopped at otherwise. <laughs> um, Good job. Probably got up to like pee or something. Or, you know. <laughs> um, in an otherwise empty trash can because the trash had already been emptied. Yeah. One of them special forensic experts from that nice little laboratory was like, hmm, I don't know why, but I'm going to take this shit. Yeah. Thank God. Yep. She said that it was divine intervention that made her take it. She just had a gut feeling, I should fucking grab this. good work. You are a smart lady, Mm -hmm. my dear. So uh, they kept it and froze it. It ended up being uh, frozen and thawed multiple times. The first time it was it was checked for DNA, it was taken to the Chicago Field Museum because apparently really? that's where they did it. And they found major contributors and minor contributors, and they think the minor contributors came from the person actually testing the chicken because yeah. they didn't wear gloves. <laughs> which interesting, bleh, yeah. Bleh, bleh. They didn't wear gloves, yeah. and it was a non-sterile table. Yeah. Random. So, um, but at the field museum, yeah. Hmm. I don't know. It, DNA thing, you know, shit was in its infancy. Yeah, so. it was true. Um, so crime scene expert experts found the faint imprint of a Nike shoe on the still damp floor by the register where these fucking dipshits mopped. Good job, guys. Yeah. Um, it turned out it was a Nike Air Force shoe, uh, sized anywhere from 12 to 14. It was manufactured between June of 1990 and November of 1992 with the word force written on the tongue. Uh, based on the print, it had been barely worn or worn mostly inside, which is pretty common with Air Forces, if yeah. I'm not mistaken, right? Well, now everyone wears fucking yeah. Air Force Ones and... That's why the new Jordans I, I, or the old Jordans. Um, based on the size, the person wearing it stood between six feet and six feet six inches tall. Hmm. It's kind of a broad. Yeah. But hmm? whatever. Uh, so bullets are dug out of the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, they only found one. They use the term slug, but I don't like that. Yeah. Um, I do. Outside of the freezer and the cooler. Uh, otherwise, they were all in the freezer and the yeah. Cooler, obviously. Yeah. It was found in um, eye level of uh, Friar Hood. Okay. So people at this point start coming to the scene and claim that they heard gunshots that night. Um, but Deputy Chief McGregor is like, hmm, in a freezer? Yeah. Probably not. Not so much. So what he did was he took old ballistic vests from around uh, the police station mm-hmm. and put them in different spots of the restaurant. He then collected a variety of weapons and went into the restaurant, placed people outside at various points, and fired at the fucking um, vests. Um, He said, quote, after all that, we determined you couldn't hear squat anywhere. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So nobody heard bullets. That's good. That is. Rule it out. Yeah. Because I'm sure you had probably 50 of them Mm -hmm. come Mm -hmm. forward. So rule them motherfuckers out. The power being cut off kind of had the investigators scratch in their head because the um, power box, not power, the switch box, was behind a wall out of plain view. 
So they assumed that the killer or killers knew that the restaurant was left mostly dark after closing, but they also questioned whether or not they knew how to cut the power beforehand. Yeah. Um, He said, Deputy Chief McGregor said, quote, it could have been sheer chance that the killers found the switch box. It was either luck or someone had knowledge that the switch box was there. So the evidence starts unfolding slowly. Uh, They think they might have this solved because they have Martin Blake in custody. Yeah. Um, After holding him and questioning him for 48 hours, he is released on January 11th, 1993, through a back door to avoid the press because they had already released his name nationally. Mm. Um, McGregor said, quote, we let him go because he didn't do it. Right. There was nobody there that said, God, this is our killer. We can't let him go. Yeah. Um, so he actually, he moved to Arizona. He sued, obviously. He didn't get a lot. He only got 8000 yeah. for you know unlawful arrest. He moved to Arizona and um, it became a Catholic. Yeah. And now preaches against abortion and the death penalty. Really? <laughs> he kept his promise to God. <laughs> Holy shit. I'll be a better person, I promise. Wow. So he he was. <laughs> okay. Um, in a press conference held later that same day, Cook County State's Attorney Jack O'Malley says, quote, we are not in a position to reassure this community. There is a murderer or murderers on the loose. Mm-hmm. Well, hello. Um, Palatine police spend Probably the better scared part. scared the shit out of right? the entire Chicagoland <laughs> area. scared me. Um. They spend the better part of the next nine, almost ten years chasing leads, including mm. the false confession of a man in 1998 who said his friend committed the murders while he was in the bathroom. Mm. Get better friends. Yeah. Why are you guys such dickheads? <laughs> what? what the fuck is wrong with you? Me and, me and Kate and Jackie walk into a bar. Jackie shanks somebody. Jamie, who did this? I don't fucking know. Right. I don't know. <laughs> well, who's this little girl? I don't know. Yeah. She don't look old enough to be in a bar. Are you sure it was her? Dude, this is... Uh, my friends are Ivan and Bob. That's it. That's they'd, it. They'd be the same way. Yeah, I know. Mark who? Exactly. He a black guy? Who's e- Mark? Exactly. Get better fucking friends, people. Yes. And what? So you're taking a shit and this guy shoots seven people and you don't you don't notice? Mm-hmm. Major poop. I which I get, but it's a lot of bullets. Yeah. Were you dying in the bathroom? You're right. <laughs> oh my god. Mm, so whatever. on January twelfth, nineteen ninety three, uh FBI supervisory special agent they have very long names. I know in they the do. FBI. I know they do. Uh FBI supervisory special agent Philip uh Bouvia, I and think. I, my question always is what makes you special? Yeah, right. Why are you a special agent? Can I be special paramedic, Jamie? Well, I probably have more training and experience than you, so why the fuck are you special? Yeah. Well, he was supervisory of all the other special ones. Whoa. Oh, God. Look out. So he's like the head special guy. Look out. Yeah. So he shows up with nine other agents and ten laptops. I didn't know laptops were a thing in 93. In 93? But then I think back to Friends, and it was like in 96. And remember when Chandler got the laptop? Yeah. And they said Rachel had chubby ankles? Yeah. Um, I didn't look to see when they came out. It, it must kinda, have been a huge fucking 
like a laptop had yeah. to have been like our TV. Yeah. Yeah. But it's the FBI, so they got money to right. money to spend. So they showed off showed up with a software product called Rapid Start. Hmm. This was actually the first live test of this particular software. Mm-hmm. It allowed them to enter and anal- uh, analyze geez, fuck, you leads suck. quickly. <laughs> Um, yeah. so they could put the leads in and the, it would like, you know, shit them out and it, it did nothing for them. Except it sounds it, like it. It put the leads together. Like there were no Probably other. Probably just organized the leads. Yes. That's what it ended up doing because there were no other crimes in the area that matched yeah. it. But it did. It organized the leads. Thank you, FBI, so for being special. Deputy, that. Deputy Chief McGregor was like, it helped, but it didn't. No. <laughs> so, um. So FBI profiler Bob Skigalski tries to narrow it down. He thinks that there are two to four killers. There was one gun that was repeatedly reloaded. Duh. Mm -hmm. But he says that the one gun shows lack of planning, which uh, points to it being individuals that are between the ages of 18 and 25. Yeah. Which, okay. Yeah. I can get on board with this. Other experts were like, no, no, they were in their 30s to 40s, and they were former employees. Do you think Bob was like, fuck you guys? Right. <laughs> like, if I was an FBI profiler and I fucking nailed it, after the case, I'd be like, mm-hmm. Fuck you guys. Told you. Yep. Look who's the fucking smart one. Right. You and your fucking laptops. <laughs> right. I still beat you. So, there are former employees fucking everywhere. Mm-hmm. They're all over the country. The, the investigators tracked down 300 of them. Oh, my God. Yes. So, like, these guys did their due fucking diligence. Yeah. Um, they ended up, uh, Deputy McGregor, Deputy Chief McGregor said, quote, there was a list that you'd, um, there was a list. Then you'd talk to other people and they would say, but, hey, this guy worked here, too, at the same time. Yeah. So, this included Casey Sanders because she never went back mm. after it happened. She had uh, an ex-boyfriend who had actually died of AIDS. And on his deathbed, he confessed to the murders. Really? Um, He also implicated her. Again. Get better friends. Fuck you guys. (laughs) So they would question her every fucking year. Yeah. And nothing came of it. They never found any connection to it. Right. Why he... Like, notoriety. Like, people just want their, you know, 15 minutes of fame. Yeah, whatever. Um. So another former employee's interview, Juan Luna, went a lot smoother. He arrived with his friend uh, James Degorski and his girlfriend Ann Lockett and was dressed like a fucking job interview. He wore a very nice trench coat, Mm -hmm. is what it said. Mm. Um, Your suit was probably three sizes too big, and your pants were hanging over your Jordans. (laughs) Like I can picture it in my head. Um, He's photographed and questioned and released in less than a half an hour. Mm. Um, another body, uh, at this point is found 10 days later, five miles from Brown's. It's a headless body missing its left arm and its right hand. Wow. It appears that the person died before the murders. Um, they are careful to not link the two, but it's hard to think that there's two different killers on the loose, you know? Uh, Chief Bratcher says, quote, it seems to defy logic that you could have two maniacs committing these type of crimes in that compressed time frame in right. that small geographical area. Yeah. 
Uh, Barrington and Palatine police work together, but there's no suspect at this point. Mm -hmm. A task force is created within the first few weeks, led by Palatine police. It included 102 investigators from 21 police departments. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Headquarters are set up in a former Palatine Township Elementary uh, District 15 administration building um, on Quinton Road. They discover a five-man robbery ring that's hit a Taco Bell in Des Plaines and a couple Mexican grocery stores in Arlington Heights and Mundelein. Two of the men are arrested. Three um, are thought to have fled to Mexico. So the Palatine police travel to Nogales to find really? them. Really? Yep. yep. Wow. None of them are connected. Hmm. On February 21st, 1993, a similar type robbery happens at a Crystal Lake Arby's. Same, they put him in the freezer. Yeah. Nobody died. Uh, but two Woodstock men are arrested, and it's found that there's no connection. Mm-hmm. On April 17th, Barrington police arrest a man for the headless guy's murder. Mm. His wife then implicates him in the Brown's chicken murder. Of course. What? What? Why? You can't trust anyone. He fucking decapitated somebody already. Like... Did you have to throw in another one? Right. He he fucked up already. Can't trust anyone. Yeah. Um. So it, the man's eventually convicted of of murder. Yeah. But there's no ties to the Browns chicken. Right. Um. And his wife Karma bit her in the ass because she eventually goes to jail for check fraud. Oh, does she really? That's what you get. That's what you get, bitch. If I was her husband in jail, I'd be like, she did it. Yeah. She did the Browns Fuck chicken. Yeah. Murder. Hmm. So. Uh, multitudes of fingerprints are entered into APHIS, including a fingerprint that they found on a napkin with mm. that chicken meal. Mm. Um, they say that they find a partial print that matches a man by the name of Terry McGee. Uh, they pull him in, and after three days of questioning, it turns out that not only did he have nothing to do with it, but that it wasn't a match. Mm. APHIS was wrong. Uh, in the first year of investigation, Palatine spent approximately $130,000 on that case. You might want to explain what APHIS is. Oh, it's a database where fingerprints are entered. So yes, if somebody has committed a crime, they're fingerprinted, obviously, and their yes. fingerprints are put into APHIS. So then there's something to compare fingerprints to. Exactly. Did I explain that good? Yeah. Okay. Um, the community raised um, $120,000 reward for any tips mm-hmm. 200 fingerprints were collected 240 pieces of evidence were examined 3,000 phone tips came in this is all within the first year a thousand leads were investigated and 1600 hours of crime lab time was used mm-hmm. uh, two dozen full-time investigators work the case at the three-year mark though it's dropped to seven full-time investigators which i feel is still a lot yeah um so police eventually release information about the Nike shoe print and the type of weapon that was used. Mm-hmm. It does generate new leads, but it doesn't break anything. Chief Bratcher says uh, at a press conference on the three-year anniversary, quote, all it takes is a phone call, one bit of information to solve this. A few days in, Chicago detective Rich Zuli says he has information that he believes implicates a Chicago street gang leader, Jose Morales Cruz, um, and they call this lead 80. Mm. Uh, jail informant pointed to Cruz, and that's how Zuli found out. 
to which a Browns customer says that Cruz's associate, Miguel Sanchez, was in the restaurant the day of the murder. Um, and then somebody at a car wash overheard his associate saying, quote, why do you have to do them all and talk about a meeting in Irving Park? It was apparently well known that the gang usually meets on Irving Park Road. Okay. Zuli is uh, left out of the questioning and is fucking pissed. Yeah. Gets into it with the chief and the chief is like, uh, fuck you, get out. Wow. So he ends up getting pushed out of the investigation altogether. Yeah. Um. It kind of escalates. In May 1993, the jail informant dies in Cook County Jail by what they say is suicide. However, others suspect that he was murdered for snitching. Mm. Uh, Cruz is eventually sentenced. I am not suicidal. I don't know why that just scared the shit out of me. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, right? Fucking Jesse Smollett. (laughs) I am not suicidal. Oh, my God. You're an idiot. Right. Um... (laughs) So Cruz is eventually sentenced for a 1992 armed robbery in Skokie, and no ties were ever found to Browns, obviously. Frank Portillo, yeah, there you go, yeah. uh, is super frustrated because this lead 80 is like people really thought this was it. Yeah. We got it. So he ends up becoming vice president of the Chicago Crime Commission and joins with the Better Government Association. And in 1997, issues a critical report of the Palatine Murder Task Force hung largely on Lead 80. Yeah. Uh, In reply, the Illinois State Crime Commission writes a report praising Palatine's investigation. Hmm. McGregor would later say, quote, Lead 80 was like the lead that wouldn't die. We'd have leads come in, they'd be investigated, and it would come full circle. It would come back to that lead. Hmm. Nothing was connected to it. But it was a big to-do. Yeah. Uh, In 1994, a woman named Ann Lockett breaks up with Jim Degorski. He, uh, excuse me, she moves to Oregon for a short time with her mom after her dad passes away, but returns to Illinois uh, to enroll at Illinois, or excuse me, Eastern Illinois University in Charleston. There she majors in psychology and works with developmentally disabled adults. God bless you. Yeah. But the Brown story moves with her wherever she goes. You ready? Yeah. Here's where it's getting good. Uh, Degorski calls her mom every once in a while asking about her and saying he's never far away. Almost like a threat. Yeah. Um, Anne shares an apartment with her boyfriend and a friend on the Charleston Courthouse Square. Every day she stares at the clock on top of the actual courthouse and realizes she can't keep her secret any longer. Late in 2001, she tells the secret to her boyfriend. Mm. They discuss her safety and possibly sending an anonymous letter to the police. They tell the roommate and all three of them get their FOID cards for safety purposes. Mm. Anne tells her sister and her mother her secret, but mainly to emphasize the need to hide her whereabouts. Explain what a FOID card is. Oh, so you can uh, carry a weapon in the state of Illinois. Right. Well, not Not carry. yeah, Yeah, not conceal carry, but you can own a firearm. Did you see Indiana's? open carrying you don't need a void card you don't need a card oh really yeah um so at this point eileen bacala had told her husband the same secret that ann had um and it turns out it's now her Mm ex-husband in march of 2002 ann reaches out to an old high school friend named melissa ann asks her to forward a letter to the palatine police so it cannot be traced back to her 
After some convincing, Anne tells Melissa the secret that's in the letter. Melissa persuades Anne to call a friend on the Palatine Police Department. Police finally get the call that makes all the difference in the world. And this is lead number 4,842. Oh, wow. Hang on, I gotta move this, sorry. I need a drink. I'm parched. Man, you stopped right... Dude, the excitement. Cliffhanger. Man. Cliffhanger and sore throat. Cliffhanger. Take a sip and hit that vape. Oh, God, here comes crybaby. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. It's January 1993. Uh, Picture it. Sicily, 1892. Right. Um, Picture it. January 1983. Uh, Anne has recently checked herself into Forest Hospital, which is a private psychiatric and substance abuse hospital in Des Plaines. This would uh, be the same rehab facility that one of the employees checked himself into. Mm. FYI. Just, it was in the area, so it makes sense. Um, Her 20-year-old boyfriend, Jim Degorski, calls her and says, quote, watch the news tonight. I did something. Damn. The news is flooded with the murder at the Brown's Chicken Restaurant. Ann calls her mom and asks her to save all the newspapers about the crime. A few days later, Ann is released from the hospital and is hanging out in Degorski's basement bedroom in his mom's Hoffman Estates home. Because he's so cool. Yeah. There's a punching bag and they listen to Metallica. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, you would Metal. probably hang out there. Yeah, yeah. I probably would. Uh, 18-year-old Juan Luna is also there. Does that name ring a bell? Mm-hmm. Uh, although he protects his space and has been here before, he has shown her that he has two knives and a thirty-eight revolver that he has actually shown her how to use. So Degorski then asks Anne if she wants to know what him and Luna did at Brown's Chicken. Mm. So Juan Luna is now married with a son. Uh, this happened when he went to stay in Mexico for two years after the Brown's Chicken murders. They came back to the U.S., moving in with his parents in Crystal Lake. And in 1998, they moved to subsidize housing at the Meadowdale Apartments in Carpentersville. He works factory jobs until he takes a job as an installer for Galgren Appliance in 2001. The owner say he was a family man who lit up talking about his wife and child and never gave them any reason to believe he wasn't a good person. Yeah. Luna's friends, on the other hand, say that he brags about having a gun and would start a physical altercation with anybody over anything, saying during one of them, quote, you'll never guess what I can do. Um, Only thing on record for him is a 1998 arrest for writing a bad check uh, for $100. Uh, Degorski job hops. He did auto detailing in Mount Prospect. Worked at a country club in Hoffman Estates, was cleaning offices in Hoffman Estates in Arlington Heights, and had started a handyman business called Jim of All Trades. He moves to Wakanda, then to the Indianapolis area in 2001. A year after Brown's Chicken, he's arrested in Lake Havasu City, Arizona for marijuana possession. He receives a small fine and probation. In May of 1998, Barrington Hills charges him, arrests him and charges him, excuse me, with DUI, speeding, and possession of marijuana. He loses his driver's license, gets a year of supervision, and pays a $500 fine. In a letter asking for a conditional driver's license, he says, quote, I am a single man trying to save money and improve my position in society. 
You're a dick. Yeah. Um, he asks a coworker in early 2002, quote, if somebody killed somebody, would God let them into heaven? <laughs> no. No, you're going to hell. No. Uh, after hearing Annie's or Anne's story, excuse me, Sergeant Haas, who uh, is now the deputy chief mm-hmm. of Palatine, um, realizes that he knows the names Jim Degorski and Juan Luna from his time as a resource officer at, what is it? Freemed? Freemed High School. Yeah. Fremd. Fremd. Um, police start looking for the men in April of 2002. Uh, they both agree to give DNA. And Luna's like, I'm fucking golden, dude. They like printed me in the whole shebang. Yeah. So the print on the napkin turned out to be a palm print, not a fingerprint. Okay. That's why it wasn't a match to Luna. Um, so he's, obviously he's cleared by the prince. Um, on May 9th of 2002, DNA from the partially eaten chicken meal comes back as a match to Luna. Oh. So conclusive that only one in 2.8 trillion people could fit the profile. That's awesome. That's more than there are people in the world. Yeah, that's awesome. It was you, dude. Anne leads police to Eileen Bacala, who backs up everything that she says and then gives her version of the night's events. Mm-hmm. She says Dagorski uh, called her the night of the murders and told her to meet him and Luna at the jewel in Carpentersville. She meets Dagorski and Luna, sees latex gloves on the council, but doesn't really say anything about it. Yeah. I keep hitting my glasses. Sorry. Yeah, I noticed that. Um, my eye is twitching, so it's like my depth perception is fucked up um the men carrying a canvas bag get into her car and she drives them to her elgin townhouse they all smoke pot and count the money in the campus canvas bag degorski gives her 50 dollars that he owes her that she later uses at the mall to get either shoes or a purse i read both i would go for the purse personally but whatever Uh, A few hours before dawn, she takes Luna to his car and Degorski asks her to drive past Brown's Chicken. Mm -hmm. When she does, she sees all the ambulances. I put ambulances and shit. Uh, Degorski tells her that more than a robbery happened, obviously. Now, Degorski and Luna had previously tortured and killed cats and small animals, um, but Luna wanted more. He wanted to kill a person. Yeah. Um, it was referred to in one source as he wanted to ice someone. Okay. Have you ever heard that before? No. Okay. That's probably made up. Um, he, he probably made it up because he's a giant fucking twat face. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> him and Luna went to Brown's Chicken that night because they wanted to kill any, kill somebody. They didn't give a fuck who was there. Right. Now, three of the workers Luna had previously worked with because he was a former employee of Brown's. Um, He had worked there until seven months before the murder. He left on good terms. Wasn't an issue. But they picked Browns because he knew there was no alarm. Mm -hmm. There was no gun on the premises and there were two safes. And he knew that Lynn would be there at night closing with the keys on her wrist. So they figured it would be easy. Easy target. The men go to the restaurant, careful not to make footprints in the snow. They put a wedge under the green employee door so no one can get out. Uh, they pose as last-minute customers. Obviously, they suspect that Luna was recognized, mm-hmm. so they didn't think twice and rang him up. Right. Um, they actually argued about 
Luna getting a meal because Jagorski was like, cool, now you're covered in fucking grease, you idiot. Yeah. Well, it didn't turn out to be the spit that got, you know, did him in. Right. Um, it's a little unclear how exactly the shooting started because the men's accounts vary slightly, but very slightly. Not like there isn't mm-hmm. huge differences in their stories. Yeah. Um, now, Jagorski D- never confessed to the police. He confessed to Eileen. Okay. Okay. Um, so it's possible that there was a scuffle with an employee or that something happened at the counter. The employee started running with one going for the back door but couldn't get out because it was wedged shut. Mm. Uh, one of the men fired a shot announcing the robbery. They suspect that's the shot that was found, the slug that was yeah. found in the fryer hood. Okay. The five employees are forced into the freezer at knife and gunpoint. Lynn is led to the safe. After taking too long to open the top safe and before she could open the bottom safe, Luna grabs her by the head, calls her a bitch, and slits her throat. He then drags her back into the freezer. He opens fire upon the employees inside. He later claimed, and still claims, that he didn't know if he hit any of the people inside. Hmm. Are you motherfucking kidding me? Yeah. They're all shot in the head. Uh, they're was, all on their fucking knees. He was fucking aiming. Yeah. They're all on their knees with their hands above their yeah, head, and he, they're all shot in the head. Yeah, he was aiming. Fuck you, you didn't know. Um. So one of the employees actually vomits French fries onto the floor. This was a detail that was never released to the press mm-hmm. or the public, and it was a detail that was provided by Anne, which oh, made the wow. cops go, she oh, yeah. really does fucking know. Yeah. Luna then... Stated the same thing. Yeah. Um, Michael is stabbed in the stomach to ensure that he is dead after they saw what was most likely an involuntary movement caused by his body dying. Yeah. Uh, One of them mops the blood by the freezer and the cooler. They leave blood on the handle, but no fingerprints. They leave no casings and cut the power. And in the near darkness, the restaurant looks ready for the next day's business. The gun is thrown into the Fox River. It has never been recovered. Mm-hmm. I wonder how many guns are in there. Yeah. And their soiled clothes were discarded in several trash cans and dumpsters uh, along the way of them driving. Mm-hmm. Luna quickly confesses after he is taken into custody. Yeah. Jim Degorski uh, at 30 and Juan Luna at 28 are arrested and charged with the murders. Uh, At some point in county jail, Jagorski gets hit by a deputy, which resulted in a broken jaw and surgery. Whoops. He sued. Did he really? He sued. I shit you not. Oh, fuck you. It gets worse. So the deputy was put on leave and resigned. He was not not termed, and he was not charged criminally. Good. He said that he hit Degorski in self-defense yeah. and that he used the force that he did because of the inmate's history. Yeah. Uh, Degorski fucking won. Oh, my God. $450,000. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Do you want to know how much of it he saw? Hopefully none. None of it. Good. Where, where did it go? The state sued him. Good. For the money. For the cost of his lifetime incarceration. That's awesome. <laughs> and then the rest went to the families. That's awesome. On, yeah. yeah. On May 10th, 2007, Juan Luna was found guilty of seven counts of first degree murder. 
The state did seek the death penalty, but the jurors' vote was 11 to 1 in favor, which did not meet the unanimous requirement. Yeah. On September 29, 2009, James Jagorski was also found guilty of seven counts of first-degree murder. Thanks to Ann Lockett and Eileen Bacala, because again, he never confessed. Right. Um, right. They also sought the death penalty for him, but the vote for him was 10 to 2 in favor of. Sales at the restaurant plummeted by 35% within months, and eventually 100 Chicagoland locations were closed. Mm-hmm. The Browns did not reopen, obviously, because they pull everything from it for evidence. Yeah. Uh, a dry cleaning business was there for a short time before the building sat vacant for several years. And they tore it down then, yeah. didn't In they? In April of yeah. t- uh, 2000. And was it 2001? Yeah, 2001. The building was demolished. Uh, that December, there was a Christmas tree like mm-hmm. thing sold at the lot, and then eventually a Chase Bank was built in the spot. There was a woman in a newspaper article um, who banks with Chase but refuses to go inside the building. Well, She's like, just drive through, drive well, through only. I don't blame her. Yeah. Uh, both men are serving life sentences without parole at Stateville Correctional Facility in Joliet. 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 It's considered Joliet. Yep. Right? So these dickbags are still in mur- are still in jail. Good. And the families, like Guadalupe's family, they went back to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, his kids are you know grown and married, and some of them came back. And but like the 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 ties are weird. Like I was saying. Like Luna's sister um, went to high school with Castro's sister and yeah, just very weird. That's creepy. Very weird connections. I mean, it was such a small town at the time. Yeah, at that time. It's huge now. So that is the Brown's Chicken Massacre. Now, this is why the Yogurt Chop Murders... It was so highly criticized that they did not collect the garbage Mm. because the garbage was collected here and that's where they got the DNA was the fucking garbage. So that's why it was such a big to do that they didn't end the ogre chop murders. But if the ex-girlfriend wouldn't have said anything. It still would have been unsolved. Because Luna... He got arrested one more time mm-hmm. in 99 yeah. for check fraud. Okay. But they never matched his prints, obviously, because it was a palm print. So there's right. no DNA. There's there's no, there's, there's nothing. Yeah. These guys would have gotten away with it. Man. But they, at some point between the two of them, had told 10 people. Oh, really? Yeah. 10 people knew about because like so they told Anne, and then Anne told people and mm. then they told eileen and then eileen told people and so 10 fucking people knew wow now i'm surprised that it took that long Anne said that she um was scared she said that degorski threatened that he would kill her and he would kill her family yeah and that's probably why he called her mom every once in a while saying i'm close oh yeah luna just didn't say anything to anybody yeah but mm-hmm Man, so she finally taking all them psych classes and was like, "Mm, "I gotta get this shit off my chest." Oh yeah, fuck yeah. So how how can you not say something? Right, you know. Right, dude. That's kids. Yeah, you know. Yeah, just very very sad. Yeah, all around. It it really was. I can't imagine being in in a situation like that. You know what's coming. Mm Mm-hmm. 
You know it's coming. Yep. And I wonder why. So, like, I, I haven't seen a map. So, I probably shouldn't say this because I haven't really looked at a map to see, like, where the freezer and the cooler are. The freezer was by the employee entrance. I know that. The cooler was closer to the front of the store. Mm-hmm. I wonder why those two guys didn't try and fucking book it out of there. Yeah. Because it, the the five in the freezer were shot inside the freezer. Right. So I wonder why they didn't try. I mean, they were probably just like, fuck my life. Yeah. You know? The fuck do or we do? Or they didn't know. And by the time they figured it out, they didn't have fucking time. Yeah. You know? Man. Mm-hmm. Totally fucked up. Yeah. Mm. Senseless. Completely fucking. Yeah. For 1800 bucks. Well, they just wanted to kill. Yeah. So the yep. money meant nothing. Yep. I vaguely remember this. I, I do too. I mean, we were. I feel like I remember Waco more than I remember yeah, I agree. this. But I think Waco is because it lasted so much longer. Yeah. Maybe that's why. But this, we were what, in sixth grade? Fifth grade? Something like that. It was 93. Yeah. So we were, what, 11? Yeah. Uh, it was right before Waco. Yeah. Man, 93 but... was a fucked up year. Yeah, yeah, it was. But that was good. I mean, this was a good one. You know, like I said, a couple people have been waiting for this. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I, me too. You know, yeah, you've wanted it for a while. Yeah, because I knew you would find stuff that. Yeah. I had no clue which happened. So I did end up subscribing to like six different newspapers. Did you really? So yeah. I keep hey. getting like pop-ups on my computer from the Daily Herald and the Patch about mm-hmm. things that are happening because well, now right. I'm subscribed to them. It's yeah, quite all right. I was a little disappointed to, in Rolling Stone, to be honest with you, because as funny as this sounds, mm-hmm. with shit like this, Rolling Stone articles are, are like the tits. Usually pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of these... A lot of these articles were copy and pasted. And that's another thing you find doing research, which I thought was odd. Um, They're the exact same fucking article. They're copy and pasted. Oh, are they really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So like one of the news, one of the pages I went to, um, their whole thing on it was copy and pasted from the Daily Herald. (laughs) Like no effort was made. Right. Whatsoever. None. That's funny. Yep. Well, this was a good one. So that's brown chicken. Sorry you guys heard me cough. We couldn't pause it. Yeah. Sorry the dog a couple times. But uh, no, this was a good one. Appreciate you doing it. Wait till uh, the next one. Yeah, next one will be very good. Yep. We are working with someone. Someone reached out to us to do this and... It's it's gonna, it's be, gonna be good. Yeah, yeah. A lot of information that people don't know. Oh, the case. oh yeah. A lot of inside stuff. Oh yeah. So, it's gonna be good. Yeah. And again, it's local. Yeah, somewhat local, but and mm-hmm. a high profile person. So, change my mind. And I, I don't know enough yet. I'm so, not telling you either. Yeah, I don't know enough because so. of. Eh. They'll figure it out. Yeah. But that'll be next week. Yeah. It'll. That's going to be, I'm not sleeping for a week. Yeah, you're going to be busy Mm -hmm. putting it all together. Yep. So. Shut up. We're done. So. 
All right. Well, hope you guys enjoyed this one, and uh, we will be talking to you soon. Bye. Bye. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.